Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. I want to get right into God's Word, and uh, i got to make a confession. I had another passage planned for this morning, and I called, an, I called an audible, which is the pastor's prerogative. On Thursday, I switched up the whole message after I'd written the other one, pretty much, and uh, so I didn't do myself any favors, but I, I could not preach a series on Acts and skip this passage, which is, I think without a doubt, my favorite passage in the book of Acts. It's the one that, since this, the early days of 1995, has compelled me when I read it, when I picture it in my mind's eye. It's the thing that gives me hope for harvest and why I continue here. It's this picture of the thriving church that first sprouted in Jerusalem when the gospel was being preached. And there's this amazing picture of, and it wasn't a perfect church by any means. I mean, we, we don't want to romanticize to the point that they had no flaws, no issues. But there was a beauty to that early church that had just touched the, the generation that had known Jesus Christ in person. So I want to preach from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I don't, I don't have the confidence behind it, but you can see that, right? And... Uh, in the past, I focused on the things that a thriving church does. I focused a lot on the activities. They were gathering to listen to the apostles' teaching and for fellowship and for, for um, the breaking of bread, for prayer. And, all. and so we focused a lot on the what were they doing. Today I want to switch things up a little bit. And what I'd like to do is look at this passage to explore the, the bigger question in my mind. What is the attitude that drove this early church? Were there some very important attitudes that, that if they weren't there, no matter what they were doing, the church wouldn't have flourished the way that it did? You know, um, the passage is this. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I, want, I like to read it for us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Now, if you read that slowly, if you reflect using your imagination on what that's describing, it's a picture of an exceedingly beautiful church. A church that I would want to be a part of, that I like to go to. I think it's the church that we all in our mind's eye can picture, and that's why when the real life church doesn't match up, we experience deep disappointment, a grieving, because we know that the church could be better. And so we know that this is the compelling picture of what we long for and what we hope to find coming every Sunday. When you see something of beauty, a finished work, which is the product of a lot of hard work and investment, we kind of marvel at it because we realize how much discipline was required. You know, when you see something like, now I don't normally like to use a picture of myself for these slides, but I, I couldn't find stock images quickly enough, so I apologize. But when you see a six-pack ab like that, all right, this makes me mad, actually, looking at it. When you see it and you think, how many sit-ups, how many uh, 
bowls of ice cream were turned away to get that. You know, when you look at something like a, a marathon medal, to run 26 miles and not die on your legs, I mean, that, that's unbelievable how much investment of time and training went into that. When you see something like the perfect golf swing and, and you know, even something like a college diploma or something like that, you realize when you see something, you can, you can just blank that out, when you see something that, that great and you appreciate the hard work that it went to, I want to say that standing behind that hard work, that discipline, was a certain attitude that if the person didn't have the attitude first, they would have fizzled out of the hard work a long time before. And, you know, I think we, we focus too much on the stuff we got to do without seriously thinking about what are the attitudes that drive us. The attitudes that if they're not there, then we really fail to continue past that point where most people want to just give up. Who doesn't want a six-pack like that, like I have over there? Who doesn't want that? Everybody wants it. Not everybody gets there, and the failings are not just with discipline, they're primarily with a certain state of mind, a way of looking at and processing reality that drives everything else that we ultimately do. I'm convinced that behavior and discipline arise out of a way of understanding and looking at the world and at life. So I want to explore some key attitudes that the early church had that I think we see a great deal of already in Harvest, I'm not rebuking anyone through these things. What I'm saying this morning is this. These are attitudes that build the church. Let's guard them fiercely because if these attitudes leak out of us, we will really be undone. And the first attitude I see there is devotion. Devotion. Is that showing up there? It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves. And then it lists all the things that they devoted themselves to. Before you get distracted by all the things they were devoted to, focus on that idea that they consciously devoted themselves to something. Here's how I define devotion. Devotion is commitment that prevails over resistance. Let me just flash that up there, okay? Devotion is a commitment that prevails over resistance. So they devoted themselves. And the idea here is everybody starts strong with different things. I mean, think about, um, think about how many times you begin something with great enthusiasm, but before very long, the momentum starts to leak away and it becomes familiar and mundane, right? And, and so resistance is a part of life, a part of starting anything. Think about a road trip when you were in college. Anybody ever take a road trip dur- during those young years um, between 18 and 22? Get on a motorcycle or get in a car with a bunch of your friends. And do you remember how excited you were? You had mixtapes, or you know, in those old days, we had mixtapes, or you had your iPod all stacked up with playlists, and, and you had your Slurpees from 7-Eleven. You're all excited. Everyone's talking all at once. That's the first 10 minutes of a road trip. If you fast forward the tape six hours later, it's a very different scene in the car. I'm sick of the sound of your voices. I'm so tired of this music. My back and my neck are stiff. We've been sitting here a long time. I can't look at another McDonald's. And after all, you're complaining. It's just like the idea of, oh, we're going on a road trip becomes, we've got a long way to drive. How many miles until? And, and do you see how this is, the, this is the nature of life. We start everything enthusiastically, but before too long, bam, you hit the brick wall, and everything in you is going, you know, why is this worth it? Why don't I just sleep in a little bit? Why don't I just 
Take the, the path of least resistance. And you know that resistance is powerful. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes, quite often, the most powerful resistance comes from inside of us, doesn't it? I wish I could blame everyone else. You know, it was that they kept raising the prices at the health club. But that wasn't the case because they actually started giving me discounts. And it still wasn't enough to get me to go because the greatest resistance was I really, once I'm sleeping, I like staying that way. I don't like the complaining of my muscles when I'm on the, the treadmill, on the bike, and I'm doing this, and I just feel so tired. I want to stop. Resistance is a powerful force. And what I've learned in life is that devotion is essential to the fullness of life. If you are not devoted to something, you will never fully experience what it is to be alive on planet Earth to the extent that we were meant to. You will dabble in things. You will start a thousand things. You will have to-do lists that grow and grow and grow because they never get done. That's the nature of a life apart from devotion. Devotion is pushing through the barrier at the earliest stage when that little voice goes, Hey, shh, don't go to practice this morning. Act like you have a so eh, eh, Mom, eh, I don't know what happened last night, but I almost slept with the window open. And you know that's totally not true. You could man up or woman up, you know, and you could, you could get out there and go, but we don't. You know how it is. You had a long day at work. You come home and see your family, and then you look at your wife and you go, you know, we, don't, we have small group tonight, but man, why don't we just go to Blockbuster and get a movie and order a pizza and just chill? I really, I like the people at our small group and all, but man, I could really use a night off. And, and it's not like a harmful thing. It's not an evil thing. It's just one of those things where you know that part of you wants to go. Part of you is saying you probably ought to go. But then a big part of you is going, forget it. It would be so much easier to take that other path. That's where devotion kicks in. And here's another thing that we've learned over life is nothing great arises without devotion. Nothing worth anything happens easily. Don't you wish that the best things in life, we could just sort of fall into them, and then there it is, you know? But it seems like everything good, relationships, education, all of it, you know, getting into medical school is not the hard part. Staying in and doing all the work, that's the hard part. You know, you, if you've ever been to the medical school admissions process, it is hell on earth. I couldn't stand it. I applied to 22 different schools. I'd never want to do it again. And that was just getting in. Getting in is the easy part. It is actually, you, nobody will download the information like they did for Neo in the Matrix. I'm a doctor. You know, you've got to sit there long nights burning the midnight oil. The drudgery of it. Pharmacy class. I mean, that's, that can't be fun. All the things you've got to memorize. But that's the way one becomes a doctor. Doctors, can I get an amen? Don't leave me hanging. Or, or did you just breeze through med school? Don't ever, don't ever complain to us then, right? Listen, that's the way it works. Without devotion, our lives rarely prevail over the mundaneness and the ordinariness of life. And so I think one of the attitudes we also need to embrace, resistance is not something unusual. It hits all of us. That little voice that goes, don't, just take it easy. And I'm not advocating this sort of pharisaic do, do, do mentality. Don't hear me the wrong way. I'm not saying do more. 
I'm saying those things which you know you've been called to do, which are genuinely good for the soul, good for the church, good for God's kingdom, good for His glory, good for your family, those things which you already have committed to do, don't flake out. Don't listen to that little voice that consistently says, hey, you deserve a break today. Just take it easy. Because when you consistently give in to that, your life gets derailed from some of the things that God wants to do in you. Do you understand what we're talking about here? It is not a worship or glorification of works or of becoming human doings. That is not at all what I'm advocating. And don't go write that in your notes and go, this guy is a Pharisee, I've got to get out of here, this is exhausting. That's not the point. But all of us know that certain things are important and we will never drift into the fullness of life. We must walk there in a devoted way. I get so blessed when I watch this at our church because I know, I, as, a, as a somewhat seasoned pastor, I can spot that moment in a person's life after a short time of conversation when they've hit the wall. They, everything in them is screaming, man, I really need to run right now. I know when a person's hit that wall. And I've watched so many people at Harvest press through that at a moment where they could have packed their bags, run off, they fought through the awkwardness, the trial of staying put and walking forward in their calling. And I've seen the fruit of that time and time again. It encourages me and it blesses me every time I see it. And I want to encourage you as a church, let's be the kind of church that guards this attitude of devotion. Keep in mind too, it says they devoted themselves. Did you see that? They devoted themselves. You can't control the church and you can't control anyone else. But the one person you're responsible for and have power over is you. And so I think we need to just have a bit of soul searching and say, what am I truly devoted to? Committed in a way that prevails over resistance. I see another attitude in the early church, and that is generosity. Generosity. It's another attitude that's a building block of the church. One thing I've come to really love about Harvest is that in my 15 years here as your pastor, we have rarely done the separate checks dance at the restaurants. You know, you go to a restaurant and, and sometimes you'll be with a group of people and everyone's like, like we want separate checks to scramble and chip in and calculate. Someone takes out their little iPhone and does the whole how many people divided by what percent and all that. And then everyone tries to make change. And that's actually kind of a hassle. And the thing is, I love that at our church, I've almost never engaged in that dance Almost without fail, someone just goes, look, I got it, guys. Don't worry about it. I want, I want a treat today. And everyone goes, really? As they're putting their wallets firmly back into their pocket. Really? Thank you. I'll get you next time. And the beauty is, those aren't idle words. You do get them back next time. And I love the genuineness with which we love to take care of and feed each other at this church. That blesses me. I'm so glad among friends and family, it's not always about dividing the check evenly and, hey, I only ha had a salad, you had steak, that's not fair, you should add three more. When I see that, I just think that's not intimacy. I know you can have intimacy in that context, but it doesn't feel like family to me. I've had some great meals at your home, so good that I almost am tempted to leave a tip at the table, and yet, you know, it's just so generously and genuinely offered up. And I think that generosity really, really blesses the human heart. 
When you're on the receiving end of an act of sacrificial kindness, when you know that it wasn't easy for that person to do it, but they made a calculated decision to be generous towards you, what does that do to your heart and to the relationship you enjoy with that person? It does something powerful. That's why I advocate opening our homes to one another as one of the most important ways we can do ministry in this church. You know, maybe you feel like you can't sing on the praise team, you don't know anything about computers to be on the AV team, you're scared to death of children, you can't be on seeds. Maybe you've got a lot of reasons you can't be on a ministry team, but if you have a home and you have food and you know how to smile, you have a ministry right there. Now, I know for some of us, that's a huge threat to have these people come to my inner sanctum. This is our house. This is where I live. This building here is where my church friends are. And for some of us, that feels like an impenetrable membrane, right? I mean, it would weird us out if the people from our church life entered into our personal life. But I think that it's time for us to really think about how important generosity is as an attitude and a posture in building the church. Think about this. The majority of the Christians that were in Jerusalem at that time, the thousands of believers, were pilgrims who had come into town to observe the Feast of Weeks and and Passover. They had made a journey away from their regular hometowns to come to Jerusalem, find rooms wherever they could find them, to worship God for a period of weeks. During that time, they had no idea they could expect this The Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples at Pentecost and then Peter stands in the middle of town and gives a stirring preaching of the gospel and several thousand right there on the spot are converted and they they hand their lives over to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you had a marvelous conversion experience. I did in August of 1984 and my life was on fire. It was electric. Everything was abuzz because before I didn't know Jesus and now Jesus seemed to consume me. He was the most important figure in my life. I just wanted more of everything Jesus-y. I was going to every revival meeting that was taking place in Chicagoland, any praise night, any small group. I couldn't get enough. And that's what these people were going through is that they came to know Jesus and they said, well, we don't really have a place to stay. I've got a job and a family back home, a house to pay for, but I can't leave Jerusalem right now. I feel compelled to stay here, to keep doing life here, to be a part of this gospel movement. And so thousands of displaced pilgrims are now residing in Jerusalem without homes, without food, no visible means of taking care of themselves. They were entirely at the mercy of their newfound Christian brothers and sisters. A small band of 120 suddenly caring for the needs of several thousand pilgrims who find themselves now in league with Christ. Well, what does it mean to us to look at another person and say, you are my brother and you are my sister? I mean, those are powerful words. These are family words. Do you understand that? Brother and sister. How many of you guys, if your sibling weren't your blood relative, you might not even be friends with them? Okay, don't raise your hand. They might be in the room, but... (laughs) But you get this idea, you, know, you don't get to choose your family, but, but God gives you a family, and we behave as though that is my family. It wasn't just money that they shared. They gave their lives away. In every opportunity that arose, with this generosity of spirit, they took care of one another. 
I've got this video clip, but it's just this kind of silly clip, maybe a little comic relief in the middle. But I want you guys to play that video clip, and I want you to, I want you to see what this evokes in you. You neglected to mention the sleeper sofa. I forgot all about the air hockey table. Reluctantly helping my friend move. Get going with the one and only taste of a Dunkin' iced coffee and reluctantly help your friend move. America runs on Dunkin'. I'm sorry for the silliness of that video, but... Isn't it always the case you go to help somebody move and they're like, oh, just a, a few things, some boxes, and you get there and you're like, I didn't know you had a grand piano or two, you know, and that you live on the fourth floor of a tiny little place and the elevator's broken today. And, you know, that's the way it is. But you know what? There's something about helping people move that just knits lives together. I, I was thinking back this past week, after having helped someone else move, I was thinking about all the people, even from this church, who have come out to help us move over the years. And how do you say this? There's something about watching someone else sweat and get injured and cut, lugging your junk down a flight of stairs, and you just feel so apologetic, so grateful. You almost, you're trying to feed them, but that doesn't seem like enough. They don't accept your money. But they're like, out of friendship, they're like, and you know how it is, the person whose stuff it is almost does the least amount of lifting. They're walking around going, let me get the doors and kind of show you, because that's what they're supposed to do. And you see everyone else who are their friends doing all the heavy grunting. That's a move. But every time we engage in this activity, we bless each other and we start feeling more like family, don't we? When I've carried your underwear drawer or your, your sleeper sofa down a flight of stairs, we know each other now. Every time I go to your house, I feel like I deserve to sit on that couch. I moved it there, man. You know, that feeling like it connects us. That act of selfless service, now reciprocated in a future time, knits a family together. And that spirit of generosity is an indispensable ingredient of the thriving church. What I love is it says that, that all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good, goods they gave to anyone as he had need. I love how indiscriminate their generosity is. Even their generosity was generous. They didn't say, oh, well, you know what, I know you're moving, but like, I don't know you that well, and so maybe someone closer to you. How are you ever going to get to know someone unless you carry their refrigerator from one place to another? And there's this idea that it's not like we have to have all this history that we have to be blood relatives. If you have a need and I have an open afternoon, I belong to you. That's what family does. And it's that spirit which makes the church beautiful, that makes you feel confident about being in a family. It's like, we've got to move. And maybe you're a, you're a guy, you're a married guy, and you're like, we've got to move, and the, your wife is freaking out. How are we going to get all this stuff over? We can't afford a mover. Don't you want to be able to go, hey, we've got a church. Don't worry about it. It's covered. Our friends at church have our backs. And if worse comes to worst, we have a 30-foot trailer, a Dodge Ram 2500 Hemi truck and a bunch of strong dudes who are religiously working out and building those, 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 those biceps, right? How many times have I said this from this pulpit? I hate mirror muscles. I hate mirror muscles. The kind that are just for you to look at, but they don't actually do any real work. If you got some guns, let's put them to use. There's a brother in our church who has toyed with the idea, and I'm trying to 
fanned it into flame for him, toyed with the idea of a moving ministry. If you need to move, we will help you move. How beautiful would that be to have as a way of serving one another? And I hope that it's not just us writing a check for someone in need, but that every chance we get, whether it's sweat, whether it's attentiveness, whether it's a listening ear, whether it's babysitting services so someone could get a night out with their spouse, every opportunity that presents itself, there will be a generosity of spirit in our church that would not die. And I love that I see so much of that already. I think it's one of the hallmarks of Harvest Culture. Let's never let that die. And let me just fire one warning shot. As a church gets bigger, the easiest thing in the world to believe is someone else is surely going to do it. I saw that email. Somebody needs to move. We've got 200 people out here. I'm sure someone else, you know who it is? It's going to be me and one other guy. That's who it's going to be. All right? So you've got to have this attitude. I've got to be the one who responds to this because this is my family. May I challenge you to take the very next opportunity that presents itself to do something sacrificially generous for someone else in this church family. I know we talk a lot about the people out there and we should be generous to them, but I'm going to ask you to be vigilant and the next chance you have to be generous to one another in this church, do it. Let me give you a third attitude that builds the church. Am I losing some of you to the heat? Are you okay? How do I advance this here? Can somebody? There we go. There we go. Affinity. What I see in the early church is that they really were drawn to each other. They actually liked being together. Look what it says. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They went to church every day. <laughs> All right? Every day. They, I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying, man, they went to church every day. I don't even think I'd want to do that. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. I can't think of a better way to marry affinity and generosity than to feed one another in our homes. You know, just yesterday, last night, uh, one of the women at our church, she has this recipe, and Jeannie was like, oh, can you teach me how to cook that? Can you give me the recipe? And she went one step further, and she said, I'll just come over, we'll bake cookies with your daughters, and then I'll, I'll make it for your family while you watch so that you'll learn. And so we got dinner for free in our home by a friend who came in and cooked for us in our kitchen. It just blows my mind that there are people like that in the world, and I'm so happy to know them. And that spirit of generosity, as well as this, just this idea, I don't want to email you a recipe, I want to be with you. I want, I want to show you how to make it. I want to spend time with you. That really, really blessed us last night. And I think that's such a good way to build the church. These people spent a lot of time together, whether they were at church or eating together in their homes in fellowship. And I reject this idea of some commentators that when it talks about breaking the bread, they're talking about the stiff wooden communion observance. Oh, and every time they broke bread, they were doing communion. You know, Baloney. If you think that way, you have no idea what the early church was like. I don't want to mention which commentators I'm thinking of, but I get discouraged reading that kind of garbage. They were just having communion. No, they were eating together, man. This is, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that where food is, hearts come closer. Have you, have you driven around the suburbs of Chicago? Nine out of ten businesses are eating establishments. Right? 
I mean, that's just the way it works. Around the food table, life happens. People start... That's why when you're taking a, a woman out, you always it, it, it involves dinner. Do you want to go out to dinner? How often do you go, do you want to go out to the library and browse magazines together? There's food because with food, the heart opens up. We love food. And what I see from this is that affinity... Drawnness to one another can't just be a posture or an attitude of the heart. It must break out into the real world and translate into physical proximity. I can't be close to you unless I'm close to you. Does that make sense? You know, there are people who I haven't seen in this church for months, but they go, I still go to harvest. I go, not really. I know your heart is here, but your body is never around. You can't get closer to a group of people that you're never close to. That's not a rebuke or a criticism. It's a statement of observation, a fact that in order for human lives to draw nearer in intimacy, there is no shortcutting around, there is no substitute for face time. Why do you think businesses spend thousands of dollars a year on travel for business? To send a person hundreds of miles away to sit in a conference room and have a meeting that they very well could have had over the internet with WebEx or GoToMeeting or whatever else. And if you work for one of those companies, I know you want the airline industry to collapse and you want everyone to go over the internet, but there is no substitute for smelling your breath and seeing the inflections of your voice and knowing that that little smirk you gave off camera really gave me your true intentions. There is no substitute for FaceTime. And I really believe that it's folly to try to get closer to a church, to want to say, I don't feel welcome to you, I don't feel close, and yet we're not ever getting together with each other. How is that ever going to happen? I promise you this, you will, not, you will not feel close to this church on the basis of 30 minutes of fellowship time on Sunday afternoons. As good as the food is, it's not going to do the trick. You will have acquaintances, but you will never have friends on that basis. The only way we're going to draw closer is in the context of community groups and birthday parties. And, you know, very often on Saturdays, our lives are, are packed with activities, often children's birthday parties, places where we see a lot of other Harvest members. Last night, we went to, yesterday, we went to a really kick-butt party and uh, enjoyed all this great food and fellowship. And I love, as we're getting ready to go home, I love when we're at a Saturday party And just as I'm getting ready to say goodbye, I look at everybody, I go, hey, see you tomorrow. I don't know why that moment blesses me so much, but being able to say see you tomorrow makes me feel like these are not people that are background scenery in my life. We actually live together. Like, I'm going to see you. We're at church together. We're going to worship tomorrow. We play together today. Tomorrow, we worship our Father together. It makes me feel like these are not people I know distantly, but these are people I really know. And it comforts me to have people like that in my life. I know that we have our worlds, our work friends, our neighborhood friends, our church friends, and it's always a strange feeling when those worlds collide. For us, sometimes our neighborhood friends have become our church friends. Our work friends have met our church friends, and my college friends have met my work friends. And when those worlds collide, it's kind of strange, isn't it? But I think we attain a certain level of maturity when we stop having different groups of friends and we just have friends. People that we are committed to doing life with together that don't belong in a corner or a category, but in our hearts. And that we are deeply committed 
to spending time together, even if that time together requires extraordinary commitment and sacrifice. You know what else I see is in verse 47. Is it up there? It says they were praising God. Now that's not just some separate add-on. It describes or it modifies the, the tone, the attitude with which these people spend time together. They had made a choice to overlook all the things that we could be unhappy about with each other. And they chose to look for God in the fabric of their lives and in the people around them. They made a choice not to dwell on the failings of their friends, but to look for the reasons to praise God. I just want to see a show of hands, because we, we must have a few in here. If you're one of the perfect people at Harvest, because we'd like to have a class, could you just identify yourself? Perfect people? Hans, raise his hand. Thank you, Hans. Anybody else who's perfect? Right. So I don't think you're just being humble. I think you know that you are about as far from perfect as it gets, and so am I. So if we start looking, uh, here's, a, here's a trustworthy principle. Your eyes will always see what you're looking for. Okay? I mean, that's just the facts. Your eyes will always see what they're looking for. There are friends who are always looking for the flaw in the special effects in every movie. Ah, that stunk. I could totally see the wires. Why don't you just enjoy the movie, loser? Just watch it and enjoy it. Stop looking for every failure on the part of the people who made it and just soak it in. Your life might be happier. You will always see what you're looking for. Just the way it is. That's why after you buy a Mazda Miata, everybody has a Mazda Miata, right? They were always there. Your eyes just weren't looking. Your eyes are trained to look and see what you're searching for. If you make a decision to look for God in your life, you will see Him everywhere. Everywhere. Omnipresence of God is not just a fancy theological term. God is everywhere, not just in theory. He is active, demonstrating, expressing Himself. He is manifesting Himself everywhere. If you look for God in this very church, there are a dozen stories right now that will bring you to tears. Stories of courage, of overcoming, of sacrifice, of faith, of forgiveness that will melt your heart. If you look for God, you will see Him. God said through Moses in Deuteronomy 4.29, you will go through dry and barren places, but in that dry and barren place, if you seek Me, if you search for Me with all your heart, you will find me. That's a biblical truth. If you're looking for reasons to be mad at your husband or wife, they are infinite, I promise you. You will never run out of ammunition. It's not because you're perfect and they stink. It's because your eyes are trained only to see the bad. You make a decision today to look for God in everything and in everyone. He will show up over and over and over again. And you and everyone around you will be so much happier. Do you get that? It's not just time together, but what kind of time we're enjoying. It must be time marked by a conscious decision to look for the good and stop dwelling on the bad. Let's not make light of serious problems. But if you're just a negative Nancy, you've got to stop. I'm sorry, Nancy. I know there's actually Nancy. Just the first end name that came to my mind. Right, how about negative Norton? How's that? I just want to give you this last verse here. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. How else are we ever going to live together if we don't do that? 
it's my earnest prayer that before we set out to do all the things that good churches do, try to mimic all the programs and, and activities, that God will shape our attitudes deep down. Help us to do a gut check. And I, I pray that as a result of the word preached this morning, the Holy Spirit in you will start churning something up. He will lead you to be truly devoted, a commitment that prevails over resistance, both external and internal, to see commitments through to the end, to not give in to that little voice that wants to tempt you to take the path of least resistance, to be devoted to God and to His calling on your life and to be devoted to one another. I call you to that in Jesus' name. I also pray that we will guard fiercely a spirit of generosity that is already so prevalent here in our church. That we will not count price tags, keep score, but just want with everything at our disposal to bless our friends in Jesus' name. I swear the next time somebody moves, we better have like a thousand people show up. Let's just do this for one another. Say, I, can, I know what it's like to be in your place to send out that email. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to see to it that I clear my day for you because that's what family does for each other. We didn't choose this family. It's the family God gave us, all right? We're brothers and sisters, and I call you in Jesus' name to be generous of spirit unfailingly towards one another. And finally, let's, let's actually be together if we want to be together. Let's go out of our way to just call someone up and say, what are you doing for lunch today? We live, we, we work kind of in the same town. Let's grab a meal. Let's catch a movie. Come over, bring your kids. Let's, let's have a cookout tomorrow. Let's spend time together. When my kid's having a birthday party, and I know you might not like those little kids' birthday parties, just come. I'll come to your kid's birthday party. You come to my kid's birthday party. Let's just keep exchanging the same present if we have to, but let's do this together. Let's be together. You can't get closer until you get closer. Amen? And let's guard these attitudes because they're already here. I see them. I am encouraged by the church that I get to serve. Let's not let these things leak as we get bigger. Amen? Let's, let's pray. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to be... Uh, the Lord is leading me to be merciful. We're going to wrap up fairly quickly here. And so let's engage fully in the next minute or two. And let's start with our own hearts, our attitudes. Maybe God said something to you about your own attitude, a struggle in your heart. And just surrender to Him right now. Submit to Him. If He's challenging you with a change in your attitude, let Him have His way. Don't fight Him anymore. And have the courage to go, God, I will try my best to change this attitude which you're calling. Help me now. Do this in me. I don't want that old attitude. I want a new one. Would you just bring your own heart to the altar right now and let's pray to God about our own attitudes, okay? Let's do that. Let's also pray a prayer of blessing on our church, us together as a family. That even to the outside eye, what they would notice right away is this is a devoted generous group of people who truly love being together. Let's pray that God would make that true of us, whatever it takes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray a blessing on our church. We cry out to you for help. We can never make these things true of us, but you can. So we pray, Lord, that you will call us out. You have given each of us a path to walk, and we know that everywhere around us there's resistance, but mostly it's inside of us. 
And so call us to be devoted people. And we pray, Lord, that you would continually pour into us a spirit of generosity, which is like that which was in Christ. Just a heart that wants to give it away. Not keep score, but just bless everyone who has need. And I pray that you would also knit our hearts together with affinity. Make it so that we have a a sincere and genuine gladness at being together. Maybe more than chemistry, but a decision of our hearts to look for and to find you in one another. To be glad and to rejoice over the family which you have assigned to us. We love you, Lord. We want to honor you with our lives. Now come and help us to obey your word and to then experience the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.